When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From the After 9 Podcast Studios, this is After 9 with Scott and Kat. Hey now. Hey everybody. Welcome to another episode of After 9. Today is one of those special days that I don't look forward to, but I do kind of look forward to it. Cat's off the podcast today. She was on the radio shows this morning. She'll be on this afternoon in London. She'll be on tonight in Barrie. However, she's got her daughter's kindergarten graduation, and they do those in the morning. So, hey, she had to go out and do that. So it's just me, and as much as I love the conversation with Cat every day here in After 9, occasionally I want to talk about something a little bit different, and I just want to talk and tell you what's on my mind. So even though it's just me here, let's have a conversation. Because I feel like we can have a conversation about a lot of the things that are happening. Yesterday had the potential to be a historic day in Canada. And I, I think it will still be a historic day in Canada. It was announced the RCMP is investigating Prime Minister Justin Trudeau over allegations regarding the SNC-Lavalin affair. Remember that? Remember that affair? We had, uh, let me tell you the story. SNC-Lavalin and two of its affiliates were charged in 2015 with corruption of a foreign public official and fraud stemming from business dealings in Libya. Well, fast forward a couple of years, Globe and Mail first to report that the Prime, Ministerial, the Prime Minister's aides leaned on then-Federal Attorney General Jody Wilson-Raybould to ensure there was a deal to avoid prosecution in this case. Now, the Prime Minister has already been found guilty of ethics violations directly related to that. But did anything criminal happen there? Could there have been anything criminal? I mean, the accusation is political interference, and it certainly seems that way on the surface. I wasn't there. I don't know. I've heard Jody Wilson-Raybould's side of the story, and I've heard the prime minister's side of the story, but I don't know because I wasn't there. So let's go through what we do know. An access to information request was put forward, from the RC, or to the RCMP. And the request was very simple. We'd like to know what's going on with this case. The RCMP wrote back, responding to this access to information request, and I want to read you exactly what it was that the RCMP responded with. They said they cannot comment. You know, I'll read it to you verbatim here. A review of the records revealed that this matter is currently under investigation. The records are subject to an exemption pursuant to subparagraph 16.1AI of the Act, a description of which can be found here. Please note, we have exercised our discretion and released some material to you. Once the investigation and any related court proceedings are concluded, you may resubmit your request. Okay, what does that say? Let me read the first line all over again. A review of the records revealed this matter is currently under investigation. Well, later on, the RCMP sent out a tweet saying, no, 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 we're not investigating. 
In response to numerous media reports, the RCMP can confirm it is not investigating allegations of political interference in the trial of SNC-Lavalin. Well, doesn't that leave a lot more questions? How did this get that screwed up? How did that happen? Were they lying when they said it's under investigation? Or were they lying when they said there is no investigation because we already investigated and found nothing? And the investigation is concluded. And if it is concluded, why didn't they respond properly to that request under the Access to Information Act? Why is that? What's going on here? Does that not seem a little off to you? And, and by the way, you didn't find anything? Hey, maybe there's nothing there. I'll admit that. Maybe there's nothing there. Maybe there's nothing to investigate here. Could we have a little transparency, though? We know that there was an ethics charge there. And, of course, an ethics violation doesn't really mean anything. There's not really any consequences for violating the Ethics Act. However, if there is something criminal here, then, yes, our national police force should get involved and they should investigate. Now, they're saying they already did. Everything's fine. Really? Can you kind of give us a little info about how you came to that conclusion? Because I'm really not sure how that works here. We know something happened. We've got a very irate former attorney general, a well-respected eminent Canadian in Jody Wilson-Raybould. None of that was criminal? Eh, maybe it wasn't. But I've never seen the RCMP have to put out a statement to say, we are not investigating this. You could have indicated that you did. That would have been helpful. But we'd all like to know what's going on here. And how did that happen on the day of four federal by-elections? You know, we talk a lot lately about election interference. Call me crazy, but that seems like election interference. Why would all that come out as people were heading to the polls? And what took the RCMP hours to respond for? We got the reports around, what, 10 a.m. that the RCMP was investigating Justin Trudeau criminally. For the SNC-Lavalin affair. The statement from the RCMP didn't come out until many hours later. What took so long to clear that up? That could have had pretty serious implications in these by-elections. Now, in the end, the by-elections came out pretty well exactly as people expected. In the riding where Maxime Bernier from the People's Party of Canada was running. Maxime didn't do very well. What do you get, like just over 2,000 votes? The conservative candidate won that one. In another Manitoba riding, the liberal one. Well, that liberal happens to be the son of a very well-respected former liberal cabinet minister. So I'm not surprised that they won there. In Montreal, that was Mark Garneau's riding. He, of course, retired, didn't like the political climate, wanted to spend more time with his family, yada, yada, yada. He retired. That's a liberal stronghold. It's no surprise that the liberals won in Montreal. In Oxford, Rural riding in Ontario. Some people are saying, oh, this is bad news for the Conservatives because they didn't win by much. Well, for those who don't know the story, there was a lot of infighting amongst the Conservatives for that riding because Pierre Polyev wanted a specific candidate brought in. Well, the incumbent MP didn't like that. So he encouraged all of his Conservative supporters to vote Liberal. Despite that, the Conservatives still won. There's way too much spin being put onto by-elections. And by the way, by-elections don't matter for shit. It really doesn't matter. It wasn't going to change the makeup of Parliament. It's not like if the Conservatives won all four, the Liberals could lose a confidence vote. That's not how this works. Of course not. In this particular case, or in the case of any by-election, you vote for the candidate, not necessarily for the party. 
everyone understands that, but there's a lot of political spin being put on. Either way, for all of the stuff that happened yesterday with the RCMP to come out as people were voting in a by-election seems really bizarre to me. I think we need more answers here. I think it's time for the RCMP to come out and hold a news conference, answer some questions, because I know that there's a lot of members of the media that have some serious questions for the RCMP about how all this was handled. Did the prime minister do anything wrong? Well, the RCMP says not enough evidence to proceed and lay charges. Okay, then just answer a couple of questions about it because people do have questions about it. And how did this get that messed up where you said it's still under investigation? Turns out it was investigated but isn't currently under investigation. Are you guys at the RCMP skirting the access to information requests here? So many questions. We need the RCMP to come out again and have to explain themselves. Or maybe it's just time to get rid of the national police force. Maybe it's time to take the RCMP and let them focus on other things and not deal with day-to-day -day policing. Maybe at the absolute least, they shouldn't be investigating the people who employ them the bosses, the feds. Maybe they shouldn't be in charge of those investigations. Maybe we should call in an external police force to investigate these type things. I don't know what the answer is, but either way, what happened yesterday was wrong on a lot of levels, and we need answers. Let's go to another topic that affects Canadians greatly every single day, far more than you'll see in the mainstream media because they are not reporting on it, not with any kind of consistency or urgency. But this is another blow to homeowners who are struggling to make their mortgage payments. The head of the National Housing Agency, Canada Mortgage and Housing Company Corporation, says extending mortgage amortization periods and changing the threshold to qualify for an insured mortgage are not the answer to Canada's housing affordability challenges. The president of CHM CMHC says people have seen an increase in what they're paying to cover mortgages as interest rates have risen. No shit they have. But she also said a longer amortization period would lower a borrower's monthly payments, but it would increase the cost in the long term. And changing the $1 million cap on insured mortgages, she says, is not the magic solution. Instead, she thinks... Canadians that have mortgages that are variable rate or that have gone up like crazy in the last few years, they should not be given a break by the banks. She says Canada should focus its efforts on boosting supply. I'm getting so sick and tired of hearing about boosting supply. So let me make this really clear for the president of the CMHC and anybody who's got any influence over this situation. Let me tell you the reality of what's going on on the ground. Mortgage rates even though we were assured they would not go up, went up. Even though the Bank of Canada governor said it would be crazy, just ludicrous to suggest that interest rates even could go up more than one point. They went up way more than one point. Some people's mortgages have gone up thousands of dollars a month. And if that's a property that that person is renting out, you can bet your ass they have passed on those extra expenses to the renters. So this isn't just people that bought a home and got a variable rate mortgage. People have had to renew. We know that. People are renewing every single day. And now they're getting locked in at these extortionate rates. And nobody is standing up to the banks in this case. So let's talk about where we are. People are broke. They are broke. Any disposable income they had, meaning that extra money after all the bills are paid at the end of the month, and you've got a choice. Do we want to bank some of this? Do we want to spend some of this? How are we going to do it? 
They don't have that money anymore. In a lot of cases, people are taking out lines of credit just to make up their mortgage payments. They're borrowing to pay back a loan. We can't have that situation either. But make no mistake about it. People need relief now. Today. Now. N-O-W now. When the head of the CMHC comes out and says, well, you know, extending amortization periods would lower those monthly payments again for these people, but it'll raise the cost over time. Yes, absolutely. It would be an extra five years of loan if you extended your 25-year mortgage to 30 years. And obviously, that extra five years, you'll have to pay interest on it. I don't think too many people are concerned about what's going to happen 35 years from now. I think they're concerned about what's going to happen tomorrow or at the end of the month, or at the end of July, when they're officially fucking broke and they have no more money to pay their mortgage. People need some help right now. If given the choice, hey, you could extend your mortgage and instead of a 25-year, we'll make it a 30 or a 35-year. And because we're extending the payments over another five or 10 years, it's gonna take your payment from, say, 3,500 a month down to 2,500 a month. A lot of people would take that deal right now. A lot of them would take that deal just to try and get back to some level of affordability. But the banks won't do it. And CMHC is saying, no, you shouldn't because it'll cost more in the long run. Again, we're not talking long run. We're talking today. Do you guys understand that this is urgent? Do you understand how much people are suffering and struggling right now? There are people losing sleep, getting stressed beyond belief, turning to alcohol, turning to drugs, turning to anything you can think of to try and cope because they are so shit scared that they're going to lose their home. And then you get these tone deaf assholes at the CMHC or in the federal government with asinine comments like cancel your Disney Plus subscription or no, we're not going to give you guys a break now because it would cost you more in the long run. How about you let adults make adult decisions? Canadians have been dealt a shit sandwich and we're all being expected to eat it. And they're not even going to allow us to put mayo on it or ketchup on it or use a fork. Zero breaks. And I don't understand why. Yeah, it will cost more in the long run, but it might allow someone to stay in their home for now. It may allow them to spread out their payments enough now that they can get back ahead and try and salvage that mortgage. Maybe they just need to invest a little bit into some renos so they can put it on the market and try and get back close to what they paid for it. There's a lot of people in a bad situation. And when these government officials keep talking about supply, 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 strong mayor powers, we're going to build condos on top of condos. You're going to be able to live in a bathroom in a pita pit if you want. We're going to put beds and homes everywhere. We're not even building the homes that people want. Build all the condos you want. Go ahead. City councilors, mayors, the premier, the housing minister, go ahead and do this massive rush on building. Do it as much as you want. But you're not building what people want. Take a walk down Main Street. How many people say their goal is to live in a condo with 500 square feet and uh, don't even have a bedroom? It's a bachelor. I don't think many people are aspiring for that. People would like to have a house or a townhouse. They'd like to have a little bit of land, maybe plant a garden, maybe have room for a playground for their kid to play in or their dog to go pee. Everybody wants the same thing, and we're not doing that. You know, this, this housing strategy, good. We, we do need more homes because we're letting a record number of people come here, and we've got a lot of homeless people. But these houses that they're building are not the magic solution here. 
Sure, we can build condos, but we should be building subdivisions as well. We should be building detached and, and semi-detached homes. We should be building links. We should be building the way we've always been building. We just need to build more and faster. To put all our eggs in the condo basket, that's going to make people that own a, a detached home right now very, very wealthy. Because when those are the only detached houses around, because we're not building any more of them, they're going to be able to sell them for a lot of money. If you own a detached home, just hang in there a few more years because it's going to be condo city everywhere you look. And when a detached home comes on the market, man, you thought there was bidding wars before? Holy shit. Get ready for what's coming because it's coming. And those prices are going to go through the roof. And for the head of the CMHC to say, we don't give people a break now. We need to build more supply. How long is that going to take? How long? How long until there's so many condos out there that you can basically walk down the street and put a down payment on it and get a mortgage tomorrow and move in on Friday? Eventually, there will be enough that that'll probably happen. But it's not going to happen today. And people need help today. Allowing them to extend their financing term is the least we can do. The least. And the banks shouldn't care. They're going to make more money in the long run off of it. But people need help now. And it just boggles my mind that people don't see it. The people who make decisions don't see it because regular, everyday, middle-class Canadians can see it. We all know what's going on here. We all know people who are really, really struggling and suffering and, and asinine comments like, mm, no, no breaks. We'll, and, and we probably are going to raise interest rates again in July, right after the new carbon tax kicks in on July 1st. But you know what? It'll be fine because we're building more supply. Well, when you look at the supply that we're building, we're actually behind already. We just started this big push and we're already behind. People need something now. They can't wait. If you're in a position to make a decision on this sort of shit, it's very, very simple. Again, allow people to extend their mortgage if they need to. And if the bank uh, tries to say, well, you've broken your mortgage, so technically this is a new mortgage, so we have to requalify you at the new stress test numbers, and, and oh, yeah, yeah, you know, we're uh, going to have to charge you a penalty for breaking your old mortgage to start a new mortgage, none of that shit. Somebody should, at the absolute least, if government cared about people, if they truly cared about the middle class, and keep in mind, this is a federal government that actually has a minister of first-class affairs, middle-class affairs. If they actually cared, they would go to the banks and say, how many billions in profit did you make in the last quarter? Okay, got it. Tell you what, here's what we're going to do. You cannot charge anyone a fee to change their mortgage, to cancel their mortgage early, to switch to a different lender, Nothing. No extra fees. They can't charge it. They're already nickeling and diming us to death with the service fees that we pay at the bank. They shouldn't be allowed to charge you $30,000 because you extended your mortgage by five years. They're going to make more than that in the interest on those five years. It's ludicrous that this is allowed to happen, which kind of leads down that conspiracy theory rabbit hole. What's really going on here is the goal to bankrupt the middle class is the goal to try and take away everything that people have worked their lives to save for. Is that the goal? Because it kind of seems like that's the goal. If I'm being honest, it seems like this is not a, a responsible set of leaders that's trying to make sure their people thrive. It doesn't seem like that at all. 
it seems like the goal here is to take away as many homes as possible, to redistribute the wealth. It seems like the goal is to screw over as many people as possible. And while that may seem counterintuitive for any government, I don't know what they're up to. And frankly, I'm scared about what's going on. There's just too many people in too shitty a situation for the government to bury their head in the sand and pretend like people don't need help right now. And that's exactly when they need it. Let's talk about this uh, sub. That's Well, it's not a sub. It's a submersible, they call it. The one that is missing off the coast of Newfoundland. 700 kilometers south of Newfoundland, they were on a dive to view the wreckage of the Titanic. Apparently, the life support system in this thing lasts about 96 hours, but they've been missing for over a day, so they're down to in and around 70 hours of oxygen left in this submersible. They've lost contact. So now we've got the U.S. Coast Guard, we've got the Canadian Coast Guard, and God knows whatever else, scouring the Atlantic to try and find this thing at the wreckage of the Titanic. And don't get me wrong. Please don't misunderstand me here. I am going to pray for a positive outcome here. The people who were on this submersible that paid $250,000 each to go down 13,000 feet and see with their own eyes the wreckage of the Titanic. That's a piece of history, sure. If you've got that much money and you want to waste it on something like that, by all means. God, I hope that they're okay. I really hope that we can get them back up to the surface and they're fine and they'll be scared shitless, but they'll have one heck of a story to tell and they'll probably be able to sell the movie rights to Netflix. That's the way I would like to see this go down. We're spending an awful lot of money to go and rescue these guys. If this company's charging $250,000 a ticket, should they pay for their own rescue? Is somebody going to stroke a check to the Canadian and American government saying, hey, thanks for dispersing all those people, all those sailors, all those planes flying around trying to find us. We're going to try and pay for some of the rescue effort. Some people will say, yeah, absolutely, they should have to pay for it. Others should say, no, you shouldn't be afraid to call for help if you're in an emergency situation. Well, let, let me give you another example. Barrie, Ontario, Saturday night. A climber got trapped on a cliff and needed to be rescued. The climber was trapped atop a large rock outcropping at the Singhamton Caves. That's about 30 minutes east of Barrie. It was around 6.30 on Saturday night. His climbing partner called emergency services for assistance. So the Clearview Fire and Emergency Services showed up. The man had climbed a standalone 50-foot boulder and couldn't get back down safely. So the fire crews were able to bring the climber in and and put the ladder up, and they got the guy down. Great. Isn't it weird that when somebody does something like that, and we have to disperse our emergency services, our first responders to rescue them, we just go and rescue them, and that's it. No questions asked. But if we had sent an ambulance, you'd have to pay for the ambulance. I've never understood why we have to pay user fees for an ambulance, but we don't charge people when we have to send out half the fucking military to try and rescue them. Now, in this case, it was just one battalion at a fire department that had to go out, but it's not the point. The point is, we've <laughs> it's backwards. It's completely backwards. So I'm curious to see where this goes with this submersible off the coast of Newfoundland as close to off the coast as 700 kilometers is. Either way, it's a daunting task to try and find them, and I hope they're okay. Uh, one more thing I want to mention. The BC Coroner's Service, British Columbia, says illicit drugs 
are now the leading cause of death in British Columbia for people between 10 and 59 years old. Let me say that again. The coroner in BC says illicit drugs are now the number one leading cause of death for adults in BC, ages 10 to 59. There were 176 drug overdose deaths in May. One month, 176 people died from drug overdoses. That puts the toll for the first five months of 2023 at 1,018 deaths from drug overdoses in BC alone. The chief coroner, Lisa LaPointe, says expedited testing shows fentanyl present in almost 9 out of 10 deaths. 9 out of 10. How is this not considered a crisis at this point? How is this not considered a crisis? How, when you look around at everything happening in this country, can you not link the two of them together? We've got massive poverty. We've got a ton of mental health issues left over from the pandemic. And we've got people turning to illicit drugs here as their only escape, their only means of coping. A thousand people have died in this year alone, in BC alone. It doesn't seem like we're treating this like the crisis that it is. That's not okay. It's not okay. A thousand people died from this. And what are we doing? What are we doing? We hear all these strategies. Oh, we're going to open up more safe consumption sites. And then you hear another politician saying, no, we're going to shut down the safe consumption sites. we got to help people get off the drugs. Others are saying, no, the government should make the drugs and give them the drugs because then we know it's safer for those people to use. We're handing out naloxone everywhere, and that's good. I hope it does save lives. If it saves lives, it's worth it. But how much money are we spending on that, and how sustainable is that? Seems like an awful lot of money to just be handing out these naloxone kits everywhere. I don't know what the answer is. I truly don't. But all of these things are linked together. There's a reason so many people are turning to illicit drugs, and a lot of it has to do with mental health issues and poverty. And it doesn't seem like anything is being done to address mental health issues or poverty in BC, in Ontario, in Manitoba, in Quebec, in Nova Scotia, and the list goes on. It doesn't seem like we're doing our part here, but there are people who need help, and we've got to get them the help. I'd really love to see Justin Trudeau and Pierre Polyev and uh, don't even bother with Jagmeet Singh. Just get the two of them out there because they're basically the ones making the decisions right now. Get the two of them out there and let them have a debate. No zingers, no fucking around. Let's hear an actual debate on policy. And once we've come to some sort of a consensus, and I know it's possible, if you put two reasonable people together and ask them to hash out an issue, and they each put up a good, compelling case, and again, if they're reasonable, they should be able to see at least some of what the other person is saying. It shouldn't be hard to find a consensus on this. We spend a ton of money on stupid shit in this country. I'm pretty sure that if, if you stood up and said, hey, guys, unfortunately, we're not going to be able to make another half billion dollar payment to Ukraine this month. We're going to take that half billion dollars and we're going to invest it into shoring up people's mortgages. We're going to shore, uh, use it to fund critical mental health response. We're going to use it to, I don't know, create that safe supply, quote unquote. I don't care what they use it for, but people are dying. We saw it coming. We let it happen. Now we're here, and all anybody in Ottawa wants to do is play politics. 
Something has got to change. We've got to start moving forward on this or people are gonna continue to die at an alarming rate. Over a thousand people in one year already, five months through the year and a thousand people are dead. It's really, really tragic. And it doesn't seem like anybody is taking it seriously. Something's gotta change everybody and shuffling the cabinet this July is not going to be the change that Canada needs. We need actual change and I hope that we can get to that soon. Have yourselves a great day, everybody. We'll see you maybe tomorrow, maybe Thursday.